for this episode, I'm speaking with Brittany Shepard, who's the national politics reporter for Yahoo News and the host of Hot Mike, uh, a show on Yahoo that is sort of aimed at young Americans. And I think that uh, Brittany's one of the the sort of the new generation voices uh, in the reporting world that I think has been really uh, great, um, despite the fact that she loves Fraser as much as she does. Uh, and we decided to sit down and talk a little bit about what it's like for her to be a young black woman in this industry, uh, the challenges she's faced, um, the opportunities that she may have had, and the difficulties in, you know, getting ahead in, a, in an industry that has seen a lot of contraction and is still largely ruled by uh, old white guys like myself. I'm John Stanton, and this is The 30, the end of the news. Well, Brittany, thank you for joining us on the 30. Oh, thank you for having me. So it's uh, Black History Month? Yes, it is. Um, Congratulations. Uh, since you're a fan of the one of the most iconic black sitcoms ever, what's your favorite black character on Frasier? Uh, the dog. <laughs> the dog. Um, no, no, no. Okay, listen. There's actually a real answer to this. I know you're being snarky, but Cam Winston is actually a mm-hmm. rich black man who lives upstairs and torments Kelsey Grammer, which is like kind of where I want to be in my life. It's kind of like the reverse of... Um, uh, um, not good times. Um, what's happening? Uh, the one with uh, um, friends. No, not friends. Is this the White Big Bang Theory? No, no, no. Um, uh, uh, the, the one with Sherman Helmsley, where like the upstairs neighbor was like a oh. white English guy. I think he was English. That was married to a black woman. Oh, and oh. he constantly tormented. Yes, I'm familiar. George, the Jeffersons. The, the Jeffersons. Jeffersons. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I was. Just, I'm more of an Archie Bunker girl, but oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting old and can't remember the mm. things I watched as a child anymore. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I do appreciate you joining us today. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I wanted to uh, first, I guess, let you sort of give our listeners a little bit of a of a bio on yourself, sort of okay. how you decided to become a reporter, where oh, you come from, that great, kind of thing. Great question. So I actually didn't decide to become a reporter. It kind of was like a lifestyle I fell into. I always describe it as like I kind of tripped into a grate, and then that was a reporter grate, and then I just like <laughs> fell into the sewer, and here I am. So um, I went to college down here in D.C., and I always wanted to work in entertainment or some kind of person-forward field and then my mom was like ha 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 you need to get a job so okay i'll go to journalism school that'll be fun and fine um and then four years later i was unemployed Hmm. after going to gw thinking that i was going to be like lined up for a job as a news associate at cnn or you know any of these kind of plug and play entry-level jobs and then life also laughed at me and was like actually we're not going to hire anyone who is not 10 years in the industry for $3. Actually, you have to pay us to work for us. (laughs) So I moved back to Long Island and then like just was like a horrible Long Island person for a year (laughs) until I was hired by this company called Independent Journal Review, which is a kind of defunct now. But we used to describe ourselves as the conservative BuzzFeed. Unclear of how real that was, but I was hired as a fellow for their entertainment team, which was the real thing was like, I wrote about like dead babies and like mad moms. Like imagine like headline news Mm-hmm. on Facebook headlines only. Like, that was oh, my God. job. Yeah, that's grim. Right. It, you know, it's trial by fire. And then I was a fellow for six weeks, pretty short. And then I was hired to do that kind of writing full time, mm-hmm. 
which was uh, difficult for me to reconcile as someone who went to journalism school. I knew AP style and how dare I not write other kinds of clickbait. I have to write this clickbait. <laughs> uh, and um, the thing about startups in journalism, that there's lots of turnover, like every six months, like a new crop of very talented people kind of go, they come in and out. And um, the wonderful Kate Bennett was hired uh, by CNN to be their White House correspondent. And I was like, oh, that's a news job. I'm going to go pitch our job, my owner, to get a new job on the news team. So I took him out to lunch. I'm like, I want to be a tech reporter. I want to write about Elon Musk. And he laughed at me, too. And he goes, well, would you ever write about the White House? I said, mm, mate, sure. And then I left that job with the White House correspondent job. Mm -hmm. No political violence for that. No training. Just like the next day, I was walked to the White House to get my hard pass. And that was that. Hmm. And the rest is kind of in history. I worked at Washingtonian Magazine after that, did like features and a little front of book stuff. Um, and now I'm at Yahoo. Mm -hmm. I cover the election in the White House there. How long have you been with Yahoo now? Six months. It's still really new. I'm only 25. So I feel like people are like, wow, how long's your career? I'm like, eh, two and a half years. <laughs> but it's uh, trauma really ages you. So I yeah. feel like I've been working in the industry for 20 years. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I mean, it's funny actually that you did. Um the clickbait stuff because I mean a lot of what we talk about on the podcast and a lot of what I've been doing through the Save Journalism Project mm -hmm. is basically about Facebook and Google and how they have manipulated the news industry and, and kind of boxes into doing a lot of that kind of stuff right. um, based on the promise of ad revenue that they then kept siphoning off more and more of to the point that now it's hard to get a job in the industry because well, places yeah. keep getting shut down. It was so fascinating to be there right at the apex of that because when I was at IJ, um, we really thrived off the algorithm. Like we say that we kind of like, we were the best ones who game the system. I think that is true. We knew how to make something go viral, 8 million hits one day. Mm -hmm. And then... One day we woke up and the algorithm changed mm -hmm. and 10% of our company got laid off. Exactly. Like in the next week. <laughs> and I remember that day, I remember walking in and being called like, hey, don't come into work today. I'm like, oh, why? Is there a plumbing issue? <laughs> and they were like, no, we're laying off like half the company. You survived, but like, just so you know. And it was so bizarre because everything I learned about journalism was like, you just write the truth. Or like, just write good content and the rest will come. But like, it's not a field of dreams and it's just been so fascinating to, to learn have your first job be in that space. Yeah, I mean, it's like, a, like I think to a certain degree we got addicted um, to like a sugar high. Yes. Or at least our business side people got addicted to a sugar high. Sure. And we thought that that was going to be sustainable. But the second that it was no longer sustainable, they just started hacking away at the, at the, at the journalism side of things, you know? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's it's crazy. Yeah, um, absolutely. I just also feel like the industry, not to talk about like the industry, quote unquote, it's so amorphous, but... Um, hasn't really figured out how to move on from that. Like all these digital mm -hmm. first publications, like kind of like, oh, what do we do with all of these people now? All right, they're gonna make like videos, like now, now this videos or something. And mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of us have been left in the wake of like, what does our career mean because of this? Yeah, well, then, you know, now you have Facebook with this new news vertical, and oh, they yeah. made all these promises, and you've seen everybody just jump right back on the bandwagon as if this time, you know, they're not going to get beat up by them and, and taken advantage of again. It's it's kind of remarkable to watch the same people making the same exact mistake again with a with a company run by a dude who, as I've pointed out several times on the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, pr profited knowingly off of a genocide. Right. You know, I mean, like, Mark Zuckerberg's a bad person. He's a, he's a very, very bad human being. And, like, the idea that suddenly he's like, well, this time I'm telling you the truth news outlets like it's it's crazy that as executives in an industry which is ostensibly here to 
question, you know, people and to not just take the statements of the powerful at face value, mm-hmm. how often they are willing to do so when it comes to, to Facebook and Google. Well, I just think it shows how hard up some of these places are. Like, they might even fully recognize that he is an imperfect person, I'll put it politely. <laughs> um, but that's like, they're like, well, we need this to survive. Like, when I was at Digital First, it was like, oh, we need Facebook. Facebook doesn't need us. Mm-hmm. And so we would do anything to stay on their radar. And, and that's how bad journalism happens. And and it's always a million little things that, that get there. Yeah. Well, so now now you're at, at Yahoo, yes. which is a juggernaut of sorts of its own, at least. A yes, bit. Uh, yeah, we're owned by Verizon now, so we are actually really, really large, and we loom very heavy over like the dot com sphere. Yeah, and um, what is it like? I mean, I guess first of all, what's it been like for you um, uh, as a as a young black woman? Oh yeah, I'm black. World? Did we did we establish that? Yeah. <laughs> no, we established yet. I'm half black. But my mom was like, "You're half white too," and I am. Um, so. For that, for that way, I still have like kind of like a knee up, maybe not a leg up or an ankle <laughs> up, a femur up. Um, it's been difficult. I actually wrote about this at Washingtonian when I was just purely a White House correspondent. I think I was one of seven black people mm-hmm. who were like you knew, not like random foreign press. And I don't mean that to demean them, but like it just they weren't being treated as like the part of the active rotation. And, mm-hmm. and so I think I was the youngest, one of the youngest, and the only black person. And it was so tough. I've never covered another administration, so like that fully blanketed. But like, it's hard to source in Trump world when they just see you and they assume your identity is already antagonistic to what they stand for. Mm-hmm. And that's why you don't see black people on the palace intrigue news teams. Like, you know, look at WAPO. They do great, great work. But are there WAPO any being Washington Post? Sorry, Washington Post. Sorry, I speak in horrible DC shorthand. So please <laughs> call me out if I do it at all. It's embarrassing, but it's part of what makes me an interesting person. Um, yeah, WAPO, the Washington Post. Uh, has a team of great journalists who break news constantly, but it's all palace intriguey stuff. And you'll notice that our like the black people, the black person who worked, you know, there is like doing policy things. It's just like Tulu is in a corner and he does what he does really well. Um, but they had to bring someone in to show that they had diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, New York Times the same way. Uh, and it's really can I curse on this? You can say whatever. You oh, want. it's just really fucking shitty. You know, to look at. <laughs> all these people who are supposed to be like the banisters of your profession mm-hmm. who are smoking cigars with Kellyanne Conway or doing whatever like they need to do to get the story and you can't even get them to sit down for a coffee because they assume that you are there to gun for them uh, it was even baffling when I worked at a conservative outlet at the time and you would think oh they'll want IJ to sit down with them and mm-hmm. it was it was just as difficult uh and that's really frustrating because it's like, well, what do you have to do to even get a story about opioid policy written? I wrote a lot about space policy. I'm like, surely that's not political. Let's talk to the NASA people. And even that was it was just so edifying to me how much harder I'd have to work to get like a th- not even half, like a third mm-hmm. of what some of my colleagues were doing. And that's why I started tweeting about it and like being really aggressive. Um, for people listening, I'm like very online. And I used to not be that way until I realized that I had to... Not only, like, someone couldn't open the door for me. I had to find the tree, knock it down, get the wood, build the door, and open the door. Like, that mm-hmm. had to be my entire process. And I didn't realize that until I was a member of the White House Correspondents Association, like, just yelling until someone yelled back. And then what did they yell back? <laughs> Go away. <What> are, yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'd rather take that than nothing. There's nothing worse than feeling alone in a room full of a ton of people not to get like emo or whatever but i would be in that basement even other correspondents would like act like i wasn't there because i wasn't a black person they knew 
Right. right? It was like April, Yamish, Abby, three wonderful people who actually opened their arms to me and like put me on so other people could take me seriously. And mm-hmm. like you don't see young white reporters having to be put on by, you know, their their mentors or whomever. And I honestly like had to, and this is just a hack for any people of color reporters listening, I had to get like a coterie of like white dude mentors. So people would be like, oh, I, I like Britney because this reporter likes Britney or that reporter likes Britney and that's how I had to network to survive. I'm not even, not even getting at my reporting yet. Just like, mm-hmm the behind the scenes bullshit uh but eventually if you're loud enough they'll start taking you seriously even though that seriously is no we have nothing for you right now at least that's more than what i was getting before mm-hmm. i mean it, and i'm not hopefully i'm not gonna put you too much on the spot and if no, I, don't, I, worry. don't worry about it you're worry. smart enough to avoid the pitfalls i'm gonna throw open but, <laughs> but i mean i think also within the industry you have um Associations like the White House Correspondents Association, mm. which um, are basically just run by white dudes, and you and know, white women, and white yeah, women, don't don't forget, <laughs> and, and they don't. I mean, they're. I mean, I have my thoughts on the White House Correspondents Association are pretty well known. I think they're basically a, a feckless group of of uh, sycophants that don't do anything they're supposed to do. However, beyond even that, mm-hmm. I think uh, before I even get to that point of thinking about them, I, I have all, like, I've, I've long been concerned about this sort of the closed network that they are in a way, right? Like there are lots of people that are members that are not really particularly involved in it and they don't particularly want to be involved and they mm-hmm. want them to give them their money for their dues, you know, and they can be in the rotations or whatever, but they don't really have any say about what's going on. And, and, and when you try to crack that nut at all, for help or, you know, because you feel like you're being messed with by administration. That's what happened with me with them with, during the Obama administration mm-hmm. was um, you don't get a whole lot from them. And well, I can't imagine it. And I'm a white dude. I can't imagine <laughs> what it's like to be like a black woman trying to, you know. And a black, I was 23 at the time. So I, that's, there were a lot of sweetie baby honeys happening because they were mm-hmm. like, who is this child? I can take advantage. But I will say it just depends on the board. I was blessed with like an amazing WHCA board who looked at me like an equal and those are the people who fought for me. But the, I mean, members on the board are completely different things. Like, I, I mean, without WHCA, I will say, like, I wouldn't be where I am today. But I was lucky enough that I was able to see that and be like, please help me or else. <laughs> uh, you would think, just like, kind of, I'll push back just from, like, the White House press corps to, like, D.C. press corps. I thought that I would have a lot more of a cushion here because I went to school here and I know a lot of people in D.C. But when you're black and you're young, you just don't. Mm-hmm. have that cushion and like you said like even for things you're like oh you'll just advocate for me to get a, an email sent like that's not always going to happen because all those people have their own selfish and personal and reporting interests too so navigating that was really tough i had no one to like to sit me down and say this is how you be a journalist this is how you navigate the politics but even like that was like annoying but that like what's really horrifying to me is that I was unable to even like walk up to the press secretary's office and talk to her, but like white reporters who I will not name um, from legacy outlets could like cut in front of me and like steal the time and it would be over. It was the fact that the administration would let that kind of stuff happen and not be like, no, I'm in a meeting right now. Or like, mm-hmm. no, Brittany's as important as this person. It was really a reflection of how difficult the relationship with me and with the press the White House was going to have. This is before that we cut briefings, it was right at the beginning of Sarah's time, Stephanie was like long in the East Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I wrote this essay in Washingtonian of how difficult it was to be a black person in DC who was a reporter 
and it, it got a lot of good attention and I was really happy about that because so many people of color who were reporters reached out to me like I've been so afraid to say X or Y um, and thank you for enabling me to at least bring this send this link to my editor and then we can have a conversation and, and so I hope those kind of conversations keep happening yeah I mean I think it's it was um I don't know. I think a brave thing for you to do. I, you know, oh, I think. Well, thanks, I mean, I think but... it's important, and it shouldn't. And it shouldn't have been on you to do it in the first place, frankly. But like, um, you know, it was important to do because I think you're right that like too often, you know, black reporters they just they get sh- shunted to the side, and then yeah. they you know worry about whether or not they should say anything because of. You know, they feel like they've been made to feel like they're already tenuous to begin with. Well, I, I, I always feel like I am I was pushed to the margins of the paper when I just want to be above the fold, like not to speak in journalism like cliche, no. but it we were or I'll only speak for myself. I was often not seeing someone who like had a serious understanding of policy. I don't know if that was more the woman part, the young part, or the black part. My indication is probably a good swirl of all three <laughs> and that I could only talk about black people's stuff. Right. So like. You want to talk about welfare or like how is Trump talking about black people? I'm like, I don't care today. I want to talk about this one policy question I have. And I'll care about that in five minutes. But like that I'm still facing now as I cover I cover the election more than I cover the White House these days. And even still, when I approach campaigns, they assume I'm coming from like an identity politics place. Or when I'm on cable, I'm asked questions about identity politics, which like I have the background. I'll love to answer them. But how about anything else Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. or like i'll be brought on for like the black person panel which is great like run me my check like wonderful (laughs) but i have a capacity for curiosity and and knowledge and it's crazy that i have to say that (laughs) well (laughs) also like the this idea that like the only issues that matter to black people are um specifically black people Right, right. Like, yeah, like, yeah. See that black person. Right. Here's here's your one to one issue. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like oh well, it's about race race issues or sure. or you know um, things that that sort of get commonly identified. But like black people care about education and the environment and everything else, and it yeah. affects black communities as much as any other community. And even if it didn't. Right? Like, right. And also that, right. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing. Like, I'm just a reporter who's curious. I'm just a writer and wants to write interesting things. And I, not to paint too broad a brush, but I feel like black reporters in D.C., unless they are old school establishment Lester Holt people right. who have a reputation of just being like, you are Walter Cronkite, you're just the voice of the news, everybody else has to do a lot of juggling to be like, hey, I can do this, this, this. I can also whistle and juggle. Like, yeah. <laughs> So take me seriously, you know, but... The challenges for I think for newsrooms when I am I, I was only I was the first black staff writer at Washingtonian period in the history of the magazine. Wow! There have been black people who have written, but as far as like paycheck and mass that was concerned, I did not know that. That is insane. Neither did I until I was there. And so I'm like, we have a bunch of historians who are like, you know, collect the magazine. They're like, hey, do you know you're the first black person? Ha ha! And then they walked away, and I was like, that's a whole buttload of information you just told me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the answer, and this is no fault to them, I mean, they were so kind, and that, that was my family at Washingtonian, was like, well, how do we fix it? We've had the same six people as editors for the last 20 years, and we can't fire them because they're decent at their job. And I think even the big newsroom, like Verizon, is like, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, it's not on me to solve that problem. Right. It's like hire diverse editors. 
hire diverse CEOs. And then I think that stuff will trickle down. But you know, I, I don't have a real answer, I'm sure. I mean, you ran a newsroom for a minute. Like, I'm sure, do you know the answer to that? I don't think so. I mean, I think, well, I mean, I don't know. I think I kind of do. Okay, then I mean, I think it is. I think it is that, like, that at first you have to stop, the, we as an industry have to stop hiring um, a handful of black reporters uh, and then being like, cool, we did it. Right? <laughs> there it is. Right. You know, or like hiring a, like a lot of black reporters and Latino reporters and, you know, Asian American reporters or whatever and being mm-hmm. like, okay, well, now we've pushed the number of non white reporters up to, you know, some level. Like, right. like let's say you can get up to like 30 or 40 or 50%. I learned a term recently. It's called a diversity sprint because now I work at a corporate <laughs> and that's what it's, I didn't know, that's what they call it when yeah. they hire up a whole bunch of. Folks of color, and they, they, they hit their number. They hit their Diversity number. sprint. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, and it's like, but they're all, like, low-level. They're, yeah. you know, like, people that don't have any kind of decision-making possibilities. Mm-hmm. And so then what you end up having is, like, a, you know, like a, like a they, they get screwed. They get stuck at the bottom. They don't ever really get moved up into those higher levels. You If you don't hire people that aren't just old white dudes and old white ladies yeah. to run places like a you're never going to keep up with what's going on in the world which i think has been a big problem for our industry the mm-hmm. last five or ten years um just in a like, very macro level but like on issues of diversity and inclusion of of other voices you're just never going to get there because the editors are going to be assigning stories in a specific way that makes sense to them from from who they are right. and like Unless you have somebody that comes in and is like, well, this is not how I see the world. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe we do this thing this different way. Maybe we don't hire that person because this other person maybe doesn't have on paper, you know, they're not from an Ivy League school or whatever. Right. But they're going to have a much better voice and an interesting take as opposed to having just another person with the same qualifications as everybody else in the room, right? Like, what yeah. does that do for us? And, and that school thing is so important, and I didn't realize, like, I did not go to an Ivy League school, but UW is not a, a bad school, very, like, connected. That WAPO called us the most expensive trade school in America, <laughs> and I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, and and still, when I see I see all these journalists and peers all hanging out, like, how do you guys know each other? Like, oh, we all went to Yale together. I was like, holy fuck, what? <laughs> this runs that deep? You guys yeah. are Yale Six Legacy, and these are people of all different races too. And uh, my parents are immigrants; they grew up very poor, but that I grew up very comfortable on Long Island, and I, I guess didn't have to be confronted with the uh, different economic backgrounds and how important it is until I became a trail reporter and just saw how how ignorant like groupthink can be, myself included. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, I don't really understand like the complexities of the food stamp process. Maybe I should ask. Maybe just say, call up and say, hey, I don't know how this works. And people are so scared of that, admitting their privilege um, out loud and like articulating it to sources or to their editors that they just end up writing shit. Mm-hmm. Or they just get it wrong, which is the worst thing ever because then people who are trying to attack us for saying we're fake news or that we're not credible can be like, well, look at this thing that was incredible. And you'd be like, oh, shit. Well, honestly, they're right. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's frightening to me. We had, I, I, when I was bureau chief at, at um, BuzzFeed, we had like literally two or three weeks of conversations and we decided not to do this, but we had talked about having interns in the D.C. office. Uh-huh. Um, and I had a few friends who had gone to the Howard Journalism School. Mm-hmm. 
And I talked to them about kind of how the intern process worked out through there because I thought, well, maybe we could just partner with Howard. Right, and right? they get a couple it of seemed, talented people. Right, you know, they got a they got a whole program over there full of kids. Like, you know, seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And my one friend, she said, you know, like none of the newspapers in D.C. or the outlets really ever come to us. Like, she's like, I, she's like, I know that there are people that have gotten internships occasionally, but like, it's pretty rare. Like. We don't really get internships with like big like for the politics stuff, especially. Right. I never right? did. I never did. You know, yeah, there was, was it was never put out there for people. No one was encouraged to do it because it just wasn't something we were going to get. And you know, I started asking around from people at the post, and there was a joke running, like a running joke that was also kind of reality, which was the only way to get on the the politics team um, if you weren't sort of a savant like Paul Kane, right. you know, in terms of covering Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he had to wait years and years and years to be able to get over there, right. um, was you had to go to Yale um, or Harvard, right, right, to get an internship um, to then, you know, get your job on the desk. Maybe if you were lucky and you went to, um, like, a second-tier school, yeah. like... Princeton, <laughs> right. you could you could get a job Those as an intern. People right. at Princeton, right? You could get a job as an intern in the PG County Bureau, and yeah. then maybe you could get onto that desk, and then maybe you could get onto the politics desk. And you know, and I was like, that's insane. Like yeah. it's you know, and it's no wonder that we have the same voices, you know. And then I don't know. Like I, I was, I'm curious actually to see what you think about what happened with uh, the memos that came out recently oh, about, about Wesley. Yeah. Um, Full disclosure, Wes is a friend mm-hmm. uh, and someone who, when I was looking for mentors, I act, Wes is a great one because he was like the one black person at the Post. And Wes and is very young. This is Wesley Lowry, who uh, is just recently announced he's leaving the Post. Yes, he now works at Quibi, 60 on 6 on C- CBS. Watch it when it comes out in April. May. Yeah. Whatever. That, that's my plug for, there you go, Wes, for your money. Um, <laughs> is So... Wes is under 30, won a Pulitzer, and was a Pulitzer finalist after that. Like, extremely talented uh, about police brutality and crime, and, like, became a bit controversial there, at least as far as... I'll speak as what to what's publicly out there for these memos, is that, like, Wes would tweet about race all the time, because guess what? That's what he covered, and also he's a human being and is allowed to engage with the world around them. Ma- journalists are people? That's insane. Um... <laughs> And I don't remember exactly what the memo internally if it was from Tracy or if it was from Marty. Um, so jump in if you if you have it. But it essentially was like, please stop tweeting these incendiary things. And that huge tweet about New York Times article mm-hmm. that kind of uh, I think it was about the rise of the Tea Party, and it, they, they failed to mention kind of race baiting that existed, the the burgeoning parts of that movement. And Wes was like, imagine if you added this graph. And guess what? The New York Times did. That rarely happened. Yeah. The New York Times bows to no one. Trust me, as someone who tries to get them to link to our stuff all the time. Yeah. And it like it was successful. And it wasn't that like West was throwing tomatoes at the New York Times Bureau and like, you know, and they're all hiding. And Maggie Haberman's like, get out of my yard. Like yeah. No, he was just trying to be progressive and honest and an earnest reporter. And he got in trouble, I think, and actually kind of capital B, big trouble at the Post. Uh, and that's insane to me. And that just shows you could be at the top of your field for a young person. Super. There's no one in this town who doesn't think that that, that man is an extraordinary reporter. Yeah. And still, you can't get the respect of your peers or your manager because you're just trying to tell the truth. Well, they also, I always felt like they also traded off of his outspokenness in a lot of ways, right? When it when it benefited them to oh, have yeah. like a, a an outspoken um, uh 
hyper-talented black men on their staff on Twitter talking about things, they were more than happy to, to be okay with it. But the second that they felt like he was, you know, crossing some imaginary line, right. Right, they had never even been spelled out to anybody, right? Like, suddenly they, you know, were like, oh, no, 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 you got to back up off of that. You know? I mean, like, I can't speak to their intention, but it certainly reminded me of how black reporters are very easily tokenized as mm -hmm. the brand. I was told at one place I worked um, that I had to be the brand ambassador because I was outgoing, but also but because I was the diverse person. And so I was seen as like, okay, fly the diverse flags, Wakanda, right? And I'm mm -hmm. like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm from Long Island. Like, and as soon as it's like, as easily as they can get that to you, they can take it away. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that sword of Damocles that floats over you of the power of these newsrooms. I've never been a white reporter, so I can't speak to that, but I have a feeling that white reporters are not, not experiencing like that. that. No. And it, it just fuck it sucks because some days I'm like, should I just quit and work at Booz Allen Hamilton? <laughs> you know? Should I just like have a nice life with a steady career and an actual, you know, mentally healthy place? Speaking of diversity, it's a whole other podcast, but like there is no conversation about mental health diversity in newsrooms and like no. mental health disproportionately affects like black people, especially black women because they go undiagnosed and blah, 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 blah. Like, but you cannot, I feel that like, so full disclosure, I have like lots of mental health issues. I'm very proactive about it on Twitter. I'm all, I'm fine. But I think that there's just no conversation of what it's like to be someone who is depressed or dealing with eating disorder or whatever, because we're people too. And we're put in high stress situations and the moment in the newsroom, I was sort of like, hey, I need like anyone to have like a Lexapro? Like I left my antidepressant at home or like I had a day where I was having a panic attack and I had to go into an office. No one is trained on how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And when you're already so, dis I don't want to say disposable because I'm not, I'm, I have a lot of value. But when you're easily replaceable as a young reporter of color, the last thing I want to do is like make myself seem that much more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I have to, like life has not been able to afford me the the opportunity to, to not be forward with that kind of stuff so yeah that you know being being diverse is so many things not just about being black so but it all interplays yeah know? yeah yeah and i think i mean i think it's it's interesting that what you said about the about being tokenized i have a, yeah. a friend of mine i won't name his name or what publication was for but prior to the rise of the tea party as that was beginning to start to happen before it had really been written much about and, mm. and before that election happened he was on a, on, a, on a national news outlet and was on the campaign team and it sort of, they were going to have this meeting and he put together this list of, of areas that he wanted to cover. And it was Doug, uh, not Doug Obey, I used to work with Doug Obey, uh, mm -hmm. Congressman Obey, his mm -hmm. father's district in Wisconsin, and a bunch of these other districts that ended up flipping from Democrat to Republican mm -hmm. um, during that, that wave cycle, right? And he basically, um, this was like in February, so way before anybody had identified this is coming, right? Mm -hmm. He'd identified it, had already figured it out, done a bunch of groundwork, like had six spaces, six congressional districts that he wanted to write on. And he turned out to be right in all six. Mm -hmm. They were all ones that everyone assumed were safe Democratic districts that ended up not being, right? All flipped, yeah. And um, he and I were at this awards dinner uh, in February, the Congressional Correspondence Dinner. Right, right, yeah. And uh, he's telling me about this. And I looked at him and I was like, I was like, that's an awesome idea. I was like, I don't know that your boss is going to let you do that, man. And I was like, I, I was like, I'm afraid he's going to tell you that you got to go do black shit, right? Right, like, yeah. And he's like, no, man. He's like, they're not going to be like that. And I was like, all right. I was like, you know, and so his boss walks up right. as we're having this conversation. 
and uh, <laughs> he introduces me to his boss, and I say hello, and and uh, you know I, I don't know I say something complimentary about my friend, and right. he's like, oh yeah, he's a really great you know really really great reporter, and um, you know and he says to my friend, oh you know we got this meeting coming up on uh, tomorrow, I, um, I'm looking forward to it. He's like, I have some some ideas, uh, you know, about some areas that would be really, I think, great for you to cover. And mm-hmm. I kind of chime in, oh, really? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you, I was like, you see what's happening. Right? Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I, was yeah. Like, I was like, what areas, what are you thinking? And he right. was like, well, I'm thinking Detroit um, and uh, uh, New York City, uh-huh. uh, you know, um, urban areas. I was like, urban? Oh, yes, the ghetto. Right, right. <laughs> ur- My favorite beat. Urban yeah. areas, I right. see, right? And, Love coded language, Yeah, right. right? And, you know, he walked away, and my friend just looked at me, and he was like, don't say a fucking word, man. <laughs> I was like, I got oh, it. Yeah. You know? I was like, I understand, man. And, and you know, it was, I, I mean, you know, it was it was so disheartening for him because, right. you know, he... It's deflating. Right. It yeah. just, like, imagine you just, it's like, and I feel like when you're young, you're even, like, I, I have to be eager about everything. So if I'm jaded, they're like, ha-ha, you go, go, go work at booze, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, surely. It's that you present your editors with, like, all of these really great ideas, and then they're like... Eh, and then you just just you're just like a balloon, just being let out a little bit of helium. That's what it's like when you're in a a place of kind of like little micro aggressions all the time. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky where I've had here at Yahoo. They kind of because Yahoo is like what is Yahoo these days? We get a lot of free reign to do whatever. So if, because I'm like I think am I the only black reporter now? At least in the DC, well, especially in the DC bureau. I don't know. New York's a New York's a big office, but as far as my team's concerned, I am. Mm-hmm. So they actually give me a lot of space because I'm loud and I'm scary, and they know that. <laughs> and they're like, "Yes, Bernie, sure." And I have the luxury of being able to do what I want and explore what I want. And I have had other reporters who are older than me, black men, uh, who are like, who pull me aside in events. They're like, "I'm so jealous," <laughs> because in my perhaps more aged institution. Um, I don't have that wiggle room. And I wrote, this is a, reminded me of a graph I wrote in the essay. It's a, like a plug for like a three-year-old essay. Everyone go read it. Um, that, that's why you see so many diverse people at startups because we're the only place that will give us a chance. Or like mm-hmm. Yahoo is very like 2000s.com, but that kind of tech company vibe. Those are the only people who have like nothing to lose because like, all right, we'll just throw a lot of money at ads on the homepage. Do whatever you want. And... It shouldn't have to be that way. Like, I should be able to have want to choose what kind of publication I work at. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm lucky that I love being in the digital space. I think it's perfect for me for now. But, like, I don't know. What if you, like, really want to be a wire reporter? I don't know. Right. I, I don't know that person. But, like, you know what I mean? So it's like, that, this is my passion. I really want to be, like, you know, local me- metro, you know, at WAPO Express, rest in peace. Like, they, they, don't, they don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. They have to go to these digital spaces or they have to be these, like, kind of, like, outlandish brands imagine having to be a brand like gross like i know i'm funny so like i can get away with it online and tweet about fraser but not everyone is that person no it's the it's extra work for zero pay yeah and if you're and i mean like again uh, white dudes are able to get away without not being a brand and much easier than anybody else yeah and they're getting paid double for it like yeah. that's what's like crazy to me is that when i look at the wapo pay study came out a couple months ago by the guild god bless their guild they're actually they're doing some really good work at the washington post and the pay disparity was mm-hmm. i think in some cases a hundred thousand dollars or more are you kidding me if i found out like that was happening where i worked i would like sound the fire alarm if you're doing double the work and getting double the exposure and getting paid half as much 
I don't know. Go to Quibi. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it, that, that's baffling to me. Well, one, one area we haven't yet touched on, I'm curious uh-huh. to know what, what your experience has been so far on the, the campaign trail. Uh-huh. What it's been like um, for you to be covering the, the campaigns. Um, I actually feel like I get a lot more mileage um, from the campaigns than I did just from the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, covering Trump campaigns is a whole other thing, and they're actually, they'll take everyone, and they've been actually pretty, really great, but it is, it depends on the candidate, right? Because if you're a black candidate trying to cover Kamala Harris, the assumption is like, oh, you're a black woman, she's a black woman. Like, right. are you all gonna write complimentary things? Or like, you're only gonna tweet about noir or something? So that actually was something I didn't anticipate that like the criticism and the incoming, I would get just like writing something factually positive about Corey or Kamala. Uh, and I was like, wait, what? I can't win on this side either? Like we're, we're <laughs> losers all the way around. But it's been generally actually pretty great besides then i think a lot of these candidates are open to like young fresh people covering and not the same jabronis who have been covering them for the last <laughs> 30 years especially the folks who aren't politicians uh, and you know you know all my private thoughts about everyone but uh but my my public reporting thoughts is that there is a lot more leeway to be yourself and make mistakes with campaign reporting that you're not getting from the white house and i think sourcing is a lot better mm-hmm. when you're a campaign reporter and you're young and you're yourself uh, and you just see more diverse people. I went to an impeachment scrum, which is a disgusting sentence, um, a couple of months ago. It was like in town. I was like, fine. I guess I'll go see what's happening on the hill. Evil place. <laughs> um, I was the only fucking black reporter standing in the basement. That isn't even my job. I was like looking for the Starbucks, okay? And I was like, wait, what? And I took a photo because um, it was, I don't know, Mitt Romney or some somebody was walking through. And I just looked at it. I was like, wait, the story here isn't what Mitt Romney is saying about whatever. It's that there's literally no diversity in this congressional press corps. That's hilarious. I'm out of here. And I just don't get confronted with that on the road. And, and then you can like, have friendships, right? Half of reporting is like the bond you make with your sources and with other reporters. And like you can have a real like black dinner uh, on the road. And you're not, what black dinner are you going to here? Like yeah. TGI Fridays, I'm good, you know. <laughs> I mean, I like TGI Fridays. I'm a Red Lobster but, girl, but uh, do you? Well, no, Red Lobster is my favorite. Yes, <laughs> for sure, for sure. I've I've taken a mad amounts of shit over that in my <laughs> life, but yeah, um, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I think you know, for me, that it's like the the Congressional Press Corps has changed so dramatically since when I when I started. Right. But in so many ways, you're right. Like especially in terms of race, it has not. I mean, like when I started, there was like. Mary McGrory and like two or three other women that were mm-hmm. that were reporters, and then everybody else was like a dude that was over the age of forty five. Yeah, geriatric central. And yeah, yeah. Like my like my best one of my best friends growing up, his father was a was still in the press corps when I started <laughs> as a reporter. Right. right. And then they all got laid off in the big purge in mm-hmm. like two thousand two thousand one. And for a while, it was like like there was like ten of us, and almost all of us were white dudes. Right. And then now I go and I look, or I look on, I see television, and it's like half or more women, right. which is awesome. Awesome. Right. And and but just like that, and and the, the time when I was still up there on the hill, there were a fair number, not a fair number, the, well, comparatively speaking, there, right, was, sure, sure, there sure, was sure. three black people, I think, working right. in the press corps. The change in our coverage. And the robustness of the coverage as a totality, right, as mm-hmm. a group, 
was so much better, right? And right. so much more interesting. And like people were asking interesting questions in scrums and they were, you know, writing stories from just, just like about the identical thing I was writing about, but because they were, had this wildly different set of life experiences, right. they a different story, right? And a much fresher and interesting story. Well, right? the, thing, the thing is, I want to throw a flag. Is that it's like all the journalism can be good, right? But you yeah. need the diversity for it to be strong. Because if not, our industry will collapse, and then we're all gonna like work for Android company or whatever, right? <laughs> Automation, like I don't know, Andrew <laughs> Andrew Yang's some speech. No, he's now he's not. No, he's 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 gonna get shut down now because he's an AI. Yeah, that's true. Telling you, <laughs> right. he is right. an AI. He right. is not a real human being, Andrew. Yang. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, you know the road, and I I think half of reporting is what you learn from other reporters. Like people don't really tell that secret, but like yeah. I get all my ideas from other people who just tell me their ideas, and I'm like, oh, I can do it better, great. <laughs> or like, how can we work on this collaboratively? I don't steal, I promise. Um, just want to get that in there for my editors listening. <laughs> and when there's a collaborate, when there's diversity, there's collaboration, not just of race, but of gender and of mm-hmm. class and of mental health capacity. And the campaign really brings that. And there's less knifing, at least from what I can tell. Maybe I just have like the best friends in the world, but <laughs> for the most part, it can get very lonely. Yeah, I'm. I, I have a problem with being alone, and like, tra- and I have a very small bureau. It's usually just me, and that sucks. And like, I watch Frasier, or like, I just do something to bide my time, or like, I don't know, I'll take up knitting or something. I'll find a hobby. Uh, we're, we're workshopping <laughs> through the hobbies. Whiskey. Whis- uh, all right, I'm a, I can drink whiskey. Mm. I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, don't, mom, stop listening. <laughs> um, dad, keep listening. Uh, yeah, so that that's that's the real, like, real tough thing is to be alone and young and black and depressed and not have someone validate all of those existences at the same, at the same time is hard but like you have to kind of take the mulligan when you have this job and that's mine um and i'll just figure it out in therapy but the rest is great <laughs> want to end on a happy note for you. Yeah. the rest is peachy well um i think i got one more question for you i try to sure. ask everybody that comes on okay um uh what would you say what would be your advice to um um, a young black woman who is in college and is uh-huh. trying to become a reporter covering politics. Okay, real advice, get a therapist. And I'm not even being cute. Like, every reporter needs one, especially if you're young and black. I mean, I was, I graduated in 2016. So, like, I was there just a couple of years ago. Uh, I would tell them to, like, network the hell out of everything. So many people told me to not DM like my peers are like, oh, you look thirsty. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. And that's how, it, I mean, I know a lot of people in DC and I'm very, my biggest skill is my network here. It's my biggest value because I just go and advocate for myself with other people. And I would, every time I meet a black NA at CNN or I go back to GW and I speak to the kids, I'm like, just sell your worth to anyone who would listen, even people who aren't listening, just like DM and, and reach out to people and be earnest about your connections. But but do it because no one else will do it for you. In fact, they'll tell you that you shouldn't. And they'll, like, they'll try to keep your light in a little box because they're threatened by you. Um, and, and instead of being scared of them being threatened by you, like use it. Use it to your advantage. And I always say, charge it to the race card. Don't play it. Charge it. <laughs> and then you can reap the benefits later. That's what I would say. All right. Well, Brittany, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Cheers is still better than Fraser. All right. <laughs> I'm like, you should cut the tape. Cut the tape. <laughs>